Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Welcome to the session on service and tradition. My name is Eric S., I'm a broken child, a sex drunk, and a good and worthy person worthy of recovery, a sexaholic. Uh, I am co-leading this session this morning in the uh, spirit of the fifth tradition to carry this message. The session will be recorded. The recorder will not be turned off during this session. If you do not wish to be recorded, you may participate by listening or attend another session. Uh, We ask that those who, who... choose to share, please step up to this microphone uh, so that those who listen to the recording can follow the discussion. And uh, please do not tamper with the recording equipment or we will be, uh, you will disappear in a puff of smoke. Uh, that was a joke. Uh, <laughs> you please join me in, uh, in the uh, opening the session with the serenity prayer. God, Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Read the essay Purpose. Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience and strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution does not wish to engage in any controversy. Neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. Guidelines for sharing. Because our common welfare, this is the guidelines, our common welfare comes first, and uh, here are here are the guidelines during this meeting. No crosstalk. That is, we share with the group as a whole rather than addressing any individual member. We speak in the I and not the we. And uh, uh, for the uh, for the sake of of uh, for the recording and, and for you for panels uh, sessions, our panelists are uh, Eric S. and and Steve S. And each of our panelists will share will, for a few minutes on this particular topic. They will then open the meeting for sharing or questions. Again, we ask that those who choose to share step up to the mic so that those who listen to the recording can follow the discussion. We ask you to be mindful of the time and allow others uh, a chance to share.
morning, I'm Steve. I'm a sexaholic. And uh, thank you for coming. Um, uh, I'd like to share a little bit about uh, service work and my experience, strength, and hope with uh, doing service work in SA, what service means to me, um, how I've uh, uh, come to uh, view the traditions and, and how I relate to them and, and what they mean to personal recovery and to the fellowship as a whole. Um, my sobriety date is August the 5th, 2001. And um, I um, uh, got a sponsor very quickly uh, when I came to SA. And I had a sense of urgency uh, about getting this thing. Um, I believed that I would die uh, or something worse. And I lived something really horrible before I died if I did not do the things that you all told me I needed to do in order to be free of the obsession and to live a life that, that was usefully and happily whole. Um, my uh, early uh, one early sponsor, I was also, a, uh, I'm kind of blessed to have uh, another addiction and was in a fellowship that's a little older than SA and has a really strong service uh, history and service uh, structure and and I got to see um, uh, what that structure looked like the main thing that, that 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 required that early in my sobriety was willingness and uh, it was willingness to empty ashtrays at these meetings even though I didn't smoke willingness to show up early set up chairs uh, make the coffee and so forth and I was I'm very grateful that I was scared enough that I was willing to do those things because most of my life I would have thought that I was uh, a little bit better than the rest of you and somebody else should have been doing those things. And I was too scared and too too miserable. And this motivated me. This God used this to, uh, to bring me into some things that um, really helped me in my service. Um, the character defects that I've had all my life were still with me early in sobriety. And when I compared the way service was done in SA to the way that, that it's done in this other fellowship, um, uh, it, it didn't measure up. And I could clearly see, well, they're doing these really great things in this other fellowship, and we're not doing them in SA, uh, so we ought to change. And so part of my early involvement in service uh, was, uh, you know, with uh, a year of sobriety, trying to uh, be part of starting a new committee and uh, having all these great visions of what it could be and how great it would be for everyone. It reminds me a little bit about the actor uh, on page 61 of the big book who's sure that everyone would be pleased if only they would do as he wished. And so I uh, sometimes got a little frustrated that other people didn't see how right I was. And, and I've since learned that this is not that uncommon that I'm really not that unique. Um, so um, one of the things that I learned from uh, being in, the, in uh, other fellowships besides SA was that many people who get involved in service um, get a service sponsor. They get a special sponsor just as I can't rely on my own brain to read the instructions in the big book and figure them out and sponsor myself through the steps. I need somebody to teach me 
what's in the big book um, so that I'm not relying on my own thinking. Um, it has been very helpful to me to have a service sponsor who has experience um, in service. And, 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 his, and my, my, I have a service sponsor. He's not an SA member, but he's, a, he's an AA member with long-term sobriety. He's uh, served as a delegate in, in the AA fellowship. And he's worked through the traditions, and there's something called the concepts, the 12 concepts for world service. He's worked through those with the service sponsor. And so I'm working through them uh, with him. And uh, not finished in that process yet, but it's really uh, helped me um, get out of my own head when it comes to looking at things. And one of the big things I've learned about the traditions is that they're a set of principles, uh, spiritual in nature, designed to protect SA from my very best motives. Um, the uh, ego is, is my principal enemy in my personal recovery. And it's my principal enemy in attempting to relate and work with others in, a, in an effective and meaningful way. And so um, there was one point in my recovery where my involvement service shifted uh, from trying to get the rest of you to do right, being my primary motivation, to realizing that, you know, back in the 90s when the SA service structure was set up and some of these flagrant errors were made and clearly, you know, I can see how, you know, with my superior intellect and, you know, advanced education and so forth, I could see how wrong some things were. Well, when those wrong things were being done, I was still committing crimes in my sexual addiction. And when I reached my bottom in 2001, all of those mistakes or whatever I wanted to call them had enabled SA to be here <clears throat> so I could come crawl in the door and find a life worth living in spite of the way I'd lived all my life. And so gratitude began to be the motivation for serving. And um, uh, that's very powerful for me um, because... A lot of times, the situations which used to frustrate and infuriate me and, um, are opportunities for, for personal growth when I recognize that my problem is Steve. And, um, and when I try to find out, I, I, I do the things that you've taught me in my personal recovery uh, in the big book, um, I look at... Um, what is right about what the fellowship is doing and I focus on that and I become grateful for that and after I do that well then I can talk to you all without this agenda without this kind of passive aggressive anger you know and, and this fear well I, I, I have fear anyway of public speaking I don't know if you can tell but my voice is like all tight and I'm a little trembling inside just in this kind of small setting um and a lot of that can be alleviated by understanding that the reason that we're all here is because of a love that exists within and, and beneath and through everything that we're doing. And even when we're squabbling in a business meeting over some minor matter, we're all united by the principles that brought us here. And brought us, when I say here, I mean to a sober life. And, and when I seek the things that we have in common in a, in a setting, a service setting, um, 
wonderful things happen. And my attitude gets changed and all the conflicts just don't seem that important anymore. Um, what we have together as a, as a common uh, thing really, really stands out and, and my gratitude increases. So that becomes part of my spiritual awakening and part of uh, practicing these principles in all my affairs. Um, humility is not something that comes easy for me. But I am told that uh, in the uh, step 12 and the 12 and 12, the first line says that, you know, the, the, the 12th tradition it, 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 uh, itself states that anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I'd like to point out that that says principles before personalities, not principles instead of personalities. So um, I've heard the saying, you know, give up your personality. I don't think that's supposed to be how it works. I think principles express through personalities, and we're not all supposed to be the same. But if I uh, submit my personality to those principles, um, the, the first line of the 12th tradition uh, writings in the 12 and 12 state that the spiritual substance of anonymity is sacrifice. And I sacrifice my rights uh, with these traditions. I look at the traditions as a, as a bill of sacrifice, not a bill of rights. And... Uh, they, they are how I am called to live in dealing with you. And uh, they also teach me the only way for me to ever possibly lead anyone effectively, especially other addicts, is, is by example, never by mandate. So I'm constantly called to be vigilant at my own tendency to think I'm right and, and to try to get you all to see how right I am. Um, and, I'm, and I'm constantly needing help with that. So... I'm grateful for uh, sponsorship. I'm grateful for service sponsorship. Um, and the steps, I think, are just as important. I've known many friends who have been involved in service um, and have lost their sobriety because they were right and other people couldn't see it. And I don't want to be one of those people today, and I could be. That's the disease I've got. Um, and, and I also want to point out um, that there are many ways to serve. I've been very involved in um, the service structure of SA. I've served uh, on a local intergroup in Nashville. I've served at the regional level. I've served at the international level, and I continue to serve. And I've been very blessed by that. But there are many ways to serve. Um, sponsorship, uh, I, cannot, I cannot overlook. Um, for me, I cannot be effective in any service um, without being sponsored and, and it greatly helps me to be a sponsor as well. Um, and there are invisible ways to serve and I think they are some of the most sublime and the, and the most uh, beautiful um, people that we don't even notice they're there. There are stories about angels in my faith tradition and uh, I believe that there's a truth to those stories. Um, uh, to be found in people who humbly and, and invisibly serve with, with expecting nothing in return out of a spirit of unconditional love. So I'm here today um, not to talk to you as, as some teacher or some uh, great person. Uh, that certainly my ego would, would have me be all of those things. Um, but the principles to which I aspire um, that you all have shown me with your examples, uh, both positive and negative, <laughs> 
um, and with which I identify uh, in small part or large part. Um, call me to stand before you as another sexaholic, another sex drunk. Um, and uh, um, thank you for all that you've done uh, to show me how I can live a, a happy and useful life uh, in sobriety. And that's all I've got right now. Thank you. I'm Eric, a grateful recovering sexaholic, Eric S. I'm going to read from uh, Daily Reflections. Recovery Unity Service, uh, paragraph, and then there's the commentary. Our 12th step, carrying the message, is the basic service that SA's fellowship gives. This is the principal aim and the main reason for our existence, is the language of the heart, page 160. I thank God for those who came before me, those who told me not to forget three legacies, recovery, unity, and service. In my home group, the three legacies were described on a sign that said, you take a three-legged stool, try to balance it on only one leg or two. Our three legacies must be kept intact. In recovery, we get sober together. In unity, we work together for the good of our steps and traditions, and through service, we give away freely what has been given to us. One of the chief gifts of my life has been to know that I will have no message to give unless I recover in unity with the essay principles. I, I do a, a good amount of service on the local level, on the regional level, uh, I've been uh, blessed to participate uh, with the General Delegate Assembly and as an alternate and write, it, write articles for essay occasionally. Uh, but uh, it's interesting to note that before that I was powerless, completely uh, brought to my knees by my disease. And uh, being of service was the last thing I wanted to do for you or anyone else because I was completely, I felt I was completely worthless. Uh, the idea of being able to give of myself to someone else was completely foreign to me. Uh, and it continues to be something I struggle with. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a scared and I'm a broken child. And uh, part of my fear is that you're not going to relate to me standing up here talking before you, that I can't relate to you in some way, that there's this invisible boundary and... Um, I, uh, I woke up in the middle of the night last night and I was thinking of what I was going to say here and I'm, you know, I said, you know what, fear, you win. You win. I'm not going to fight anymore. You know, I'm, not, I'm just not going to fight anymore. You want me, here I am. So, I have to do that in order to, number one, understand that it was fear that led me into my disease. And just as it was fear that led me to this program, uh, and a certain amount of fear, I guess, is normal. Standing up before you, I'm talking. Um, I'm in a semi-public place. Uh, my earliest sponsor, my first sponsor, came from AA. 
and he came from a real rich service tradition. He was doing H&I work, and he was, he'd come into our fellowship with a good amount of recovery. And you can always tell when someone from AA comes in, and they, they, have, a, they have a certain grounding. And that's important as a, as a sexaholic, I thought, that he was someone coming into our fellowship, and he was, he was an extremely generous person. And I, I, I talked to him, he's just a great guy. And uh, he said, you know, uh, being of service, we we can't carry the attic, but we can carry the message. And um, he was doing work like walking into um, sanitariums and carrying the message. He said, you know, it's really great to do that. It's even better to realize, you know, after you're talking to people who are shuffling around with paper slippers, that the, when the door slams, I'm walking on the outside. I'm not on the inside. And my first, my first uh, opportunity to be of service was to lead a meeting in New Jersey, and I did that after uh, maybe three uh, months in sobriety. And I was just, you know, reading out of the book. That's what you do. I was, I was listening, I was observing, I was copying, and that's what you do when you first come into the program. I didn't realize I was being of service. I was just doing what I was seeing. Okay, it seemed like a good idea. Um, my sponsor gave me... Uh, a phone number of some some guy named Don. Now Don uh, had an interesting story, and he was from another faith tradition than mine. And I said, "What am I going to tell this guy?" I'm like, you know, three months into the program, what can and he seemed like a holy roller? And I'm Jewish, and you know, he was a guy, and he was he had a particular mindset about his higher power and how his higher power, what his higher power was, was leading him to do and he had some troubles. So I said well, it was obviously not working with for him. So I called someone else uh, in the program who was of that same faith tradition and he said well the guy was obviously, he said your friend is obviously worshipping the God of lust, why don't you tell him that? So it took me away from getting into a theological discussion uh, or going head to head and just mentioning to him that if you just follow the traditions, if you just follow the program as it's written, you know, maybe just by being sober that may help you to discover what your trouble is. Uh, he came to one meeting and I don't know if he came back. I, he was living in a trailer and I don't know what his situation was. I don't think he's with the program anymore, but the, the, the upshot is I stayed sober. And I was then blessed to uh, lead the, the, the Dover, New Jersey meeting, which is an extraordinary meeting. It's a good plug for Dover. It's just, a, it's just a, an, all-star, an all-star team of sick people. That's what it is. And it's a very good meeting. And um, a, lot of, a lot of laughter in that meeting and a lot of uh, great people, great memories. And every one of those meetings was a re- religious experience for me, as I, as I can think of a religious experience as it relates to me. Um, so I was able to be of so, uh, service there, and I was staying sober during this time. So I had a, a sponsor who was uh, very entrenched in being of service, and he was gently leading me, and he would say, you know, these people you sponsor may or may not stay sober, but you will. You know, as long as you're carrying the message. And I left New Jersey and I moved out west 
in the city where I now live, and they had one meeting, one meeting for a city uh, that is a convivial and well-known, it's the, uh, the cool gray city of love. And uh, where uh, sometimes people don't realize you, they have a problem. So there's no need for a solution. And so there was one meeting, one meeting, and there were two people who showed up at that meeting. And so I, I, I got the idea that, well, you know, maybe we need more meetings. And so coming from the New Jersey Fellowship, which had about 30 or 40 meetings, I thought I had the answer. My answer was God had appointed me the point person, you know, sort of like the, regional, the Western regional representative of the fellowship out there. And it was my, you know, my duty to start meetings and, and get people sober. <coughs> That was my ego, and that was, uh, I think what was driving that was the fact that I had a few less than a year in sobriety, and I was, uh, you know, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. So I started, I went to a parish, and they were good enough to, and they are, uh, were great enough to, to offer space for two meetings. So now we've tripled the number of meetings in this particular city. And then uh, people started coming to meetings, and I started going to meetings, and I was carrying the messages imperfectly as I as I can, and uh, with very little time. But I knew that I had to carry the message. There was something in me that made me aware I was um, fearful. I had a lot to lose, and. Um, one thing my sponsor had mentioned to me, he says, you know, the, the ride of lust is great, except when the waiter brings the check, then you have to pay. And I said, it, it doesn't, I don't want to have to pay that check anymore. It's too expensive for me. So my, I'm telling you, standing up here, that my first uh, opportunities to be of service was to sort of like be a surgeon and operating with a limited number of tools. You know, well, you know, you have a problem, so I'll, I'll just amputate your leg. You know, when, when maybe that wasn't necessarily the right thing to do, but I thought it was the right thing to do. So I would tell people how to recover, and they weren't staying sober, but I was staying sober. Um, but the meetings were very small, and uh, I had at that time really begun to work the steps. Where I live, the meetings are small, and you can't hide behind someone else's sobriety. You, you know, I, I can't saturate myself in a room with a bunch of people who are sober and sort of, you know, just sort of by osmosis. I really had to start working the steps. Nowhere to hide. And newcomers were finding that, too. They would come into, there was nowhere to hide. I had to just put my pain out on, in the rooms openly and talk and work the steps and, and make mistakes and continue to learn. But as I was continuing to be of service to others by carrying the message, eventually people were starting to get sober and then going out. And When I sponsored some people, I sponsored four or five people that come to mind, and none of them stayed sober. <laughs> so I said, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? Why am I here? Why, why, you know, if I'm the appointed person in the city to help people stay sober, what, what am I doing wrong? And I had heard Harvey speak about um, 
you know, the work he was doing here in Nashville early on, and he said the only the time that the fellowship really started to grow, he looked at it in the timeline, was when he got out of the way. And I had to get out of the way. Someone had said to me, you know what, you have a, you have, I'm going to point something out to you, and he said in a very positive way, you tend to dominate meetings when you get up. And the best thing you could do is to, you know, open the meeting and get out of the way. You know, big guy. And I have to just sort of realize that sometimes I could I could do that, and and so my my um, I became conscious of just saying what I would have to say just to carry the message, and then get out of the way, and then the fellowship started to grow and slowly take root, and now people are starting to sponsor other people in the fellowship, and there are reasons why I'm not going to get into why this particular why our fellowship is going to probably remain small in that city, but that's okay because we have a, a good core of what we call sober people. And that's been my experience in being of service. And something I, I'd like to talk to you about uh, uh, expanding the levels of being of service, something that Steve had mentioned at the end of his talk, is that I, was, um, I started doing a newsletter in the city where I live, this is not an approved newsletter, and it was just uh, or conference approved. But I just figured that people needed ways of connecting, so I started this little newsletter, and then I started talking to John C., who at that time was CFC chair. He said, "You know, uh, prisoners need correspondence," and he introduced me to the idea of prison correspondence, which had never occurred to me. He said, "Here's an opportunity to carry my message to someone who I'll probably never meet." Who will never meet me, and really has no 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 outlet, no no connection out there. I said, well, what what can I carry? What what is it that it, what 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 do you want me to do? He said, just carry the message. He said, everyone has dignity. You came into the program, and I thought about that, and I said, you know, during my during my illness, during my disease, when I was out there, I was living in a prison of my own mind. I said, if I'm living in the prison of my own mind and these guys are on the inside, it's not really that much difference. not really that much difference between us. And uh, you know, by this time I had been working the steps with a sponsor and, and uh, he began, I began to understand the, the whole idea of humility. Began to understand it. Not there yet, but I'm beginning to understand it. So I'm, I, I began sponsoring uh, others through the Sponsor by Mail program, which is, you heard Davis talk about last night, you know, uh, follow a set format, and there are, there are anonymity protections. And the first thing that, I, that came to mind was fear. What if these guys, what if these guys find out who I am, where I live? What happens? You know? We live in a, in, a, in, a, in a society with a hysterical climate as it, as it uh, pertains to sexual offenses and those who commit them. What if, you know, one of these guys was a psycho, gets out of prison, you know, and like, you know, all these thoughts, all these fears, these fears started to come up. What am I going to do with these fears? And I started to write inmates, as I call them then. They prefer to be called prisoners because inmates sort of like connotes that you're nuts, you know. They're like prisoner. So I, I call them prisoner. That's, that's what they like to be called. And so I would write prisoners and 
it would write back and say, you know, in uh, very simple, direct ways, tell me what the deal was. And I feel I was really connecting, much the same way as I'm, I, I, I have issues connecting directly. I wasn't really connecting with the prisoners, but I kept writing. And they kept writing. And then I got a, a, um, a, a guy who was uh, in, uh, in a prison in the Midwest, and he requested a sponsor. And I heard his story, and it was a scary story. I was scared. And I'm like, man, this, this guy is like, whoa. You know, make a, they want to make a movie about this guy. And it was, I don't know if I can do this. And I started, and I started to think, well, I've got a daughter, and God knows he's going to come out of prison. He'll find out where I live, and he's going to abuse my daughter, and all these wacky thoughts, right, had really no basis in reality. So, what I did was I worked the steps, and I just started to realize that if I could carry my message. Uh, Go ahead, just carry the message of my recovery. See what happens. I mean, I was, after all, I was sponsoring all these guys in my meetings, and some of them were staying sober. So what's the difference? You know, some guys in prison or something to meet. It's a big, big deal. So I started to sponsor this guy, and um, he was he he wrote me his first step, and it was a scary letter. It was um, the kind of person that you really don't want to meet. And I, but through that, I, I, I recognized that there is a common ground that we all share. And in our one of the meetings we have in, in the city where I live on Fridays, we have a format, and we have two formats. One is step writing, the other is inmate or prisoner correspondence. And when a prisoner writes a letter, I share it with the group, and it gets really quiet. And it's as if that person is sharing through me. You know, he is sharing through me. And I came to realize, as I'm sharing this to the, the group, as I'm reading the letter to, to the group, that there really isn't a heck of a lot of difference between those of us who have done one thing versus those of us who have done another thing. You know, my, my disease could have landed me in jail very easily. And by all rights, I could be in jail. I live in the prison of my own mind when I'm in the disease. These guys are living in a, in a, in a, in a material prison. You know, but if I had made a couple of errors along the way, a couple of other decisions, I very well could be there. Okay, so there, there's the, there's the awakening, if you will. There's the relating rather than the comparing. And so, as I'm writing this, as I'm as I'm reading this letter, I'm getting feedback from the group because we had taken a, a group inventory, and the idea was that they would, we would all. Uh, provide some consensus so that I could then write back to the, the, the prisoner. We could write back to the prisoner. Here's what so and so says. Okay, so this is so this is how we carry the message. 
we carry the message in a group, okay, and one person writes to the prisoner, and somebody said, I have to love this person. I have to learn to love this person, regardless of what he's done. And because every and what what John C said to me earlier came back to me. Everyone has dignity. So what I'm saying is that in being of service, yes, uh, you know the promise. The promise is that you get to stay sober. In a lot of ways, though, what I what I needed to learn was that there really is no no difference between the guy who's who's on the inside for whatever he's done and may not get out, and the fact that I'm able we're able to walk around and freely do what we we do here. Um, I just I would just wrap up and just mention uh, what I heard Nancy say last night that when I'm sponsoring others now. Um, I get to listen more than I say, and that uh, she talked about she talked about listening and being taught as opposed to being a teacher. And what my my sponsees are teaching me now is the, the humility. This guy in prison who writes me now, this has been now a couple of years. They don't bother him. It's as if he's walking around on the inside, and there's this there's this um, aura around him. He's carrying around something positive. They leave him alone because there's something that they they are respecting his boundaries. They say they, meaning the other prisoners. Uh, yeah, they still you know read his mail and other stuff, and there are all sorts of other issues. But he's he is um, he's sponsoring someone else in prison. And he started a meeting in prison. Now I'm not taking understand. I don't take credit for this. You know, this is not about. This is about carrying the message. And it's all about doing so. I just had to put my ego down and just carry the message. You know, as imperfectly as possible. And I'm getting to realize what a beautiful person this guy is. He's a poet. We've we've corresponded. He's written some poetry, and I've responded about his writing. You know, now we're now we're thinking of other platforms of carrying the message. Um, serving on the CFC, and we're talking about doing a newsletter. You know, that would uh, via the fellowship to prisoners. Prisoners are not allowed to write to other prisoners, but they can write to a third party that can forward the information to the prisoners. As a prisoner carrying a message to other prisoners, you can do that. You can do it safely. You know, seeing people in in, in full dimensions, okay, because we all have a lot to carry. Um, listen, thank you very much for your time. That's all the time I have. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, floor is now open for sharing on the topic of service and traditions. Francis is great for coming sexaholic. Friday today is June 12, 2001. Um, the traditions were 
very interesting growth process in my recovery. Because when I first came in, I was quite limited. I thought it's step four, step five. That's it. Because I'd worked a little bit with the recovery center and that's when I'd get called in to listen to somebody step five. So that was sort of the focus of recovery. <laughs> then I came in and of course got the other steps and had a sponsor. But we never did talk traditions very much. But sort of like uh, Eric said, I got into doing service without realizing that aspect of uh, traditions and service coming together. Um, my first sponsor, after I'd been to a couple of meetings, he said, would you like to chair a meeting? Um, I'd come in, I had seven months sobriety when I came in. I had the most sobriety in our group. <laughs> it was kind of funny in that way. So I, I chaired the meeting. I mean, I, I was really kind of proud of you to ask me. I thought, this is something great. I thought I'd have to wait a long time to chair a meeting, but I did. And then uh, someone to pick up the mail at the mailbox. I did that. became literature chairperson. did that for a while. Uh, and chaired lots of meetings. Uh, did step, uh, step 12 meetings. But I think that the big tradition growth for me came uh, by attending international conferences. This is about my number 32 or 33, something like that. <laughs> to just see the kind of work that the fellowship will do to keep itself going. Um, I've attended a lot of the SA general meetings um, at the conferences. But the thing that kind of blew my mind away and got me going was that my second one, my second international conference, 91, Sylvia came to me, we're in Oklahoma City, and she said, so when is Regina going to host a conference? <laughs> I think there were two Canadians at the, at the conference, that was about it. And I thought, lady, you've lost it. <laughs> but I took it back to the group, and uh, of course none of them had ever been to an international conference, and we talked about it, I'd go to other meetings, sit in on the conference planning, and all of this, and see what this what do they do? How do you carry on this kind of a service? And then put together a proposal and we finally were granted the conference in 97 in Regina. Now, there was something else happening in my recovery that wasn't working so well and, and my pride was really getting in the way, a big ego, which does interfere a lot with service and traditions. And I lost my sobriety in November of 96. Um, I gave Judson a really good time to laugh at me because I phoned him and I said, I'm really in trouble here, the chairman of the conference. I, you know, I canceled the conference. I haven't got sobriety. I can't do this. And he said, oh, yes, Francis lost his sobriety. We have to cancel the conference. Uh -huh. Just do what you're going to do and get on with it. <laughs> and I did. And actually, those, those months were seven of the most peaceful months of my life because I could really focus on the service. And when I came to that convention... I moved, went to the hotel and I said, that's it, it's all out of my hands now and there's other people doing lots of other stuff. If I could have one weekend of my life over, it would be that one. Because everybody was so working so hard on hospitality and the registration and chairing meetings and everything else and I just had the most wonderful time of my life. I was always grateful for that. Um, now I've moved to another step, I'm on the trustees board now and that's a new learning experience because the traditions really come into play a lot there. You know, are we being faithful to the traditions and the fellowship? But I'm grateful for the opportunity because I think it'll help me continue to grow. And grateful for this meeting. Thanks. Thank you, Thanks, Francis. 
Hi, uh, Michael, grateful recovering sex addict, love addict from Asheville, North Carolina. And uh, my sponsor has me work in the traditions. Um, and, um, <coughs> excuse me. You know, um, you know, I understand the, the the words of the traditions, and I think I'm slogging along, and I'm on tradition six, whatever that one is, or something like that. But the traditions for me, it um, it's like it used to be with boundaries for me. I mean, I always understood what the word boundary meant. Uh, I could give you a definition for it, but. Um, I really didn't have a clue how to set a boundary or uh, I didn't know what boundaries were inside myself. And I'm learning, you know, I'm learning that. Um, and uh, God seems to be putting a lot of boundaries stuff on my plate these days so I can continue to learn. Um, but with the traditions, I'm just doing it, you know. I'm doing, you know, it's like my sponsor says, well, just do it, you know. So I'm doing it. And it's like, okay. <laughs> Uh, but it really hasn't sunk in yet. And um, but I've been at this since uh, 1986. Uh, in I started out in Dayton, Ohio, and I did a lot of stuff, and I didn't know what what I was doing. And we really wandered around in the desert in in Dayton for a long time uh, in a different fellowship connected, um, similar to SA. And um, so you know, I think it maybe it's you know just do the. Um, you know, I guess I'll get it when I get it. <laughs> I don't, and I don't get things until I do. And but uh, so I think you know, just okay. So I'm doing so. You know, whatever tradition six is, write that out. Talk to my sponsor about it. And uh, you know, maybe someday I'll wake up. You know, hopefully, or maybe I won't wake up. You know, maybe I'll be dead and still just kind of slog through it. But. Um, but I guess that's all right. I mean, I, that seems to be the way that I eventually learn or don't learn. Thank you. Good morning. I'm Hugh, and I'm a sexaholic. My sobriety date's August of 89, and I'm short. Thank you. <laughs> they adjusted the mic. I came in the program in 85, but where I lived, or most places, there, there wasn't any SA meetings. You know, I had to call Harvey, or I had to call Roy, or something like this, and this just didn't work out, and I wasn't willing. So my AA sponsors, the program I came from, uh, told me that, uh, you know, I need to practice the steps, and the only step I needed to practice was step 12, the last sentence, in all our affairs. And I went, oh, this isn't going to work. Now he's wanting me to do something. <laughs> and he didn't tell me right away. And so, you know, a few weeks later, I was talking to him again. And I says, uh, what do you want me to do? He says, well, I don't know anything about your SA program, but there's got to be service. They must have traditions. Go do that. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking, okay, this is good. Then my company decided I was doing such a great job, you know, that they were going to promote me. Now, I didn't do a great job, okay? What I did really was I would hurry up and do my work so I'd have more time left for my addiction. That's what I did. But it looked good on the company. And they moved me to Chicago, Illinois, and they had all of these meetings. 
met all of these people. And I went, oh, I don't like this. This is too much for me. And I didn't get involved. And I didn't do service. And a few years later, I was moved to Ohio. Now, they just didn't move me to Ohio. They decided to move me to Akron, Ohio. <laughs> you know, and I'm going... This isn't funny at all, God. You know, not at all. I mean, you know, I keep hearing these voices. I keep hearing this. You got to do this. You got to do this. And I'm not doing it. And not really getting anywhere in my program. That was in late '88, and I went to an SA meeting. I, you know, after a little while, I start getting sobriety. And uh, our meeting was small. You know, it just kind of grew. And then we went. You know, we joined up periodically with the group in, in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, and we start growing the meetings there. And, you know, it was small. And then one day, we had 68 people at the meeting. And somebody needed to, you know, put out the literature and pick up the literature and buy the literature and sell the literature and set up the chairs and pick up the chairs and mop the floor and put away the coffee. And uh, so I said, I can do one of those. And I start doing that. And then... I start getting sobriety and all of a sudden, you know, I'd worked through a bunch of the steps and I needed to sponsor somebody. And my sponsor said, you know, now, since you have other people, you need to get an SA sponsor. So I got an SA sponsor and I got an SA sponsor that came from <clears throat> the, uh, 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 from AA, which I understood because I've been in AA for a long time. And that's what I did. And the next thing I knew, I started working the, the, the traditions and I started doing service. I've done all sorts of service. And it's good. The service is good. I've sponsored. I've served on all kinds of committees. I've spoken at internationals. And then something happened. Something happened. This is my story now, folks. But what happened was my wife took gravely ill. And I wasn't able to do service anymore. I can sponsor maybe a couple people, but I was really involved with my work. When I get off work, then I was involved with taking care of my wife. Then I retired, and all I was able to do was just take care of my wife. I was consumed by that. This isn't a bad thing. This is the way it is. You know, in sickness and in health. And that was the sickness part of it. And that was difficult. It was difficult because of the fact I had become accustomed to doing service. Service was a great thing. It got me out of myself. It helped others. And I'd carry the message as I heard earlier. Whether these people that I carried the message to kept recovery or kept sobriety, excuse me, or not, I was concerned about that, but that wasn't my ownership. My ownership was carry the message. Do the message. Clean up. That's the message. You know, uh, tell them about my recovery. Tell them about my good times and my bad times. But I wasn't able to do that. And I wasn't able to do that for quite a few years. And a couple of years ago, in 2008, my wife died. So now I'm able to start doing service again. And it feels good. It really, really feels good. Because it's that, that connection, that one leg of that stool that I was missing. And it's good to be back in that. And it's good to do the service. It feels good. It is good. And it really helps me in my recovery. Because it gives me a positive recovery. It gives me positive sobriety. It strengthens my weaknesses. It 
<laughs> that was wrong. <laughs> no, it's, it, it identifies my weaknesses and uh, helps me work through those. You know? And so in that sense, okay, that's what it is to me. And I'm excited today. I'm also remarried, I'm happy, you know, uh, and all sorts of neat things, you know. So the promises are coming about. But none of that, none of that is without that leg of service. I encourage anybody who isn't involved to get involved because it will reward you more than you can give. I guarantee that. Thank you. I'm Barbara Sexaholic. Um, I don't usually say this in public, even in my home group, but my service is that I do the essay newsletter. And um, I'm a person who is consumed by uh, fear and neurosis. And it's really encouraging to hear all you guys share that it's okay if I'm not perfect. But um, before I did this newsletter, I'd been in the fellowship for about three years and had done about zero service because I might not do it perfectly and then I'd be rejected. And um, I just was consumed by fear of being judged if I wasn't perfect. The two things, perfectionism and fear, went together. And the reason I volunteered was because um, in my early recovery, I, I didn't go to SA meetings because there was like 50 guys and one of them was my husband in the group. And I read, I snuck my husband's SA newsletters and read them. Um, as part of my recovery and so when the thing came up I just well it was in our intergroup my husband was kicking me under the table I had some back relevant background but I sp- sort of spontaneously sort of volunteered and um, didn't really think about what it was going to turn out to be but what I feel like is because of this service the whole world is aware of all my character defects <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they're just out they're like I want to be perfect I want to be calm I'm not calm you know and um, but it's been the best thing in my recovery it has been the best it, I was in these programs for three years basically doing no service I can't even lead a meeting because I'm up. I won't sleep the night before because it won't come out right you know and here's this thing that's out there in public with mistakes in it but um it has been the best, 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 best thing in my whole recovery. I started, I wouldn't, you know, I know half the people here because of that, because of doing service and knowing people around the country. And um, I remember one time, I, a lot of my problem, a lot of my character flaws are, I think I'm always right. I think I'm in charge. I think everyone should do what I say. I am in charge. And um, <laughs> these people aren't doing what I want. And, you know, I'm just a volunteer and I'm acting like, you know, and I remember calling Steve once. I don't, I don't know if you remember, but um, because I was all upset that something wasn't going my way and he knew something about it. And, and this is the traditions thing you were talking about, about being right. Um, it's not about being right. And he made me look at, like, their view. He got me so into their view that I just sort of went, well, it's not about me, it's not about them not doing what I say, it's just we have different views, but that's the thing about the traditions and it's the thing about service. And because of the service, I've gone to more international conventions and I've met more of you guys. And the more I meet the old-timers, the more I see there's more acceptance than rejection. And in fact, in the old-timers, I see more 
it's almost like the more sobriety people have, the more accepting they are. I, I don't. That's just my. I'm not saying everyone is an ex- everyone. Everyone at every level is accepting, but I feel a lot of acceptance from the old timers. And I guess the the whole main message is it's just changed my life. Doing this service has changed my life because. Um, I don't. I think that's all I have to say. Just being out there and doing things that I could not do for myself. I could not do for myself. I could not even talk in a meeting. Um, and and what whatever the bless the purpose isn't. This is one of my lessons for me to look perfect or for me to look good or for me to look anything. The purpose is to help the addict who still suffers and to be a blessing to others. And um, God gives back to me. I think I get the most out of it of anyone. But um, he does for me what I can't do for myself, and and it's just the whole thing of service is how it's changed my life. So, thank you. Thank you. We've got just a couple minutes. If anyone else has something we'd like to share. I'm Chris, I'm a sexaholic. Um, I don't have a lot to share, but um, I'm just reminded of something that my sponsor likes to say. And uh, when he talks about his sponsees, he's like, I've had 100% success with my sponsees. I'm still sober. <laughs> and I think it's the same way with service. Um, I find that when I do service, I'm 100% successful because it helps keep me sober. Whether it's Right, whether you know whether things turn out. I mean, things always turn out right because that's another thing my sponsor likes to say. It's exactly the the way God's wanted it. So I mean, the way I want it in my head <laughs> is 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 wrong, which is proven by the addiction. You know, the multiple addictions that I have. So whatever's in my head is is that plan is uh, you know doomed to failure anyway. So I need to just get out of the way and uh, let things uh, be what they are. But um, just wanted to share that. Thanks. Thank you all for coming. Um, anything you've heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of SA are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. And I'd like to ask that we um, uh, circle up um, since we're fairly small and close with the uh, Seventh step prayer. Seventh step. My Creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Right, right. Strength, strength to go out from here, here to do your bidding. Amen. Amen. Keep coming back. Keep coming back. Work it. 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 Work it.
That may, that may happen tonight. Like, what did I say? Can you erase Bring, bring some smelling salts tonight. <laughs> being recorded I, right I, now, so I can't it. believe you said that. I can't, they've asked me to speak, and I will not do it. I can't do it. I can't. Well, you did a great job. Yeah. Bless you, sir. Yes. Turn it off. I don't know. I don't know if I should have done it. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen. Great. Thank you. But you know what? You, where are you from? Where are you from? Where are you from? Many people wouldn't know her. Gene Key was sort of well was here with Harvey when they started. Started this. I don't know why they thought you would do that. It's the most painful thing I've done. It's going to be painful. Oh, great. Thank you. It was such a delightful time. And I love listening to what she's doing. And when she was curious, that whole room just rose. I mean, the one thing that has a vision, they just rose. I've got, I probably have it still. Do you think you have it? Oh, I think it's like, you know me the... Things like this I don't even know where it is. I I'm just wondering if I'm getting a thousand 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Daily Reprieve, your best source for experience, strength, and hope from the SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choose either monthly or a one-time donation. Music was provided by Matt P. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.